Linda and I had a great honeymoon. Yes. Um, it was fun being away, and we went to some places we hadn't been before. And, uh, you know, as we were doing the offering, I was thinking about, uh, well, when we were on vacation. So we've been going to Kerala for, this was our 16th year, I think. And um, we started in a little cottage in a subdivision that you didn't know you were close to the beach. It was just a subdivision. So you got in the car and you drove to get there. And then we eventually moved to the cottage that we spent most of our years with where we were, you know, one just one house away from the ocean. You could just walk across the street and over the dune. And we thought we'd gone to heaven when we got to that one. And then that cottage ended up being sold. And this is our second year at the cottage where we're at now. And it's actually oceanfront. And I was mindful of this while we were on vacation because I was thinking back of all the times we had been you know, that's a family thing. So well, every year is a little different. You experience things differently. And I think it was 2018. That was a really lean year for us. But we had the cottage, got that nailed. And at that time, I was still driving the F-150 that I used to drive here all the time. And it was having some serious mechanical problems. I didn't say anything to the family, but I was pretty sure if it got us to Kerala, it was not going to get us home. And I'd already in my head put together the plan. When the guy with the wrecker came to get it, I'm like, it's yours. I'll send you the title. I'm renting the car, and I'm driving home. And that truck doesn't owe me a thing. Well, it surprised me. It went there, and it came back and hung around a little bit longer before I finally got rid of it. In saying all that, when we look at God's provision and we look at how he is at work in our lives, we, it's, it's not just this continual increase. It's not, life doesn't work that way. Life is up and down. There's been years when we went on vacation, we didn't have, it took all the money we had just to get there and pay the gas. You didn't go out to dinner. You didn't even go to McDonald's. You went the food line, and you started with the discount rack in the back where they put all the old stuff they're trying to get rid of. You started shopping there and worked your way to the front. And there's been other years we've gone, things were a whole lot different. And we did go out to dinner, and we did do extra things. And it, you, know, you weren't thinking with every decision you made, do we have enough money to pay for the gas to actually get there and get back? I don't know that we do. God was faithful through it all. When we look at his provision, if you narrow that down to just a point in time, you're almost always going to arrive at a place where it feels inadequate. But he doesn't measure it that way. Life doesn't measure it that way. I mean, there was a time in our lives where we couldn't even afford to go on vacation, whether it's a cottage in a subdivision or whatever, we didn't have the money to go. But over time, God has added to and made a way. And a lot of times, the way that he worked it all out was a way I hadn't even planned on. It was outside of my way of doing it. But he did it. And so we, we as we look at giving, giving is something that is a part of what God is providing. And giving is something that, at least uh, from my experience, my consistent giving has been what I attribute the provision that we're, we're living in. Um, and this, you know, I, I know that that whole concept gets really distorted and twisted sometimes the way it's presented. But sowing and reaping are just kingdom principles. And I know plenty of people that aren't even believers, but they understand the principle of sowing and reaping. 
and they do it. And I think I can just look at our life over the time that we've, Linda and I have been together, and we haven't given all the time. We haven't had the money to give at certain times. There was other times that we gave, and it was sacrificial to give it. I'm not opposed to sacrificial giving. I just don't think you should do it because somebody standing where I'm standing now has promised you a hundredfold return for doing it. I don't think that's why you do it. But I can certainly look at my life where there's been times God has asked us to give, and it was sacrificial. I mean, years ago, we were still living at the house in Williamsville, and we had a Jeep Wagoneer. I loved that Wagoneer. <laughs> I'd had that Wagoneer painted. It was beautiful. It had our initials, because at that time, there was only four of us. But on each of the door, there was the initial, so you know what door you got in and where you sat. RKM was on the driver's door. I loved that. I loved that truck. And at that time, there was an evangelist that was coming through the area, and they stayed with us. They were in a camper, and uh, they were staying with us. And one day, the Lord said to me, they need a vehicle. You ought to give them your Wagoneer. It's like, Satan always comes. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was the Lord. And I said to Linda, I'm like, I think we're supposed to give them the Wagoneer. And she's like, and what are we going to drive? Well, we had another car. We weren't giving our way our only car. You know, so we had some talk back and forth and agreed that, yep, I think this is what we're supposed to do. So we, we gave the Wagoneer away. I did not, within a week of giving the Wagoneer away, have a new Cadillac sitting in the drive. I didn't even have a used Wagoneer sitting in the drive. We really didn't have anything sitting in the drive. But I knew it was what I was supposed to do. But I couldn't tell you why, necessarily, I needed to do it. In hindsight, when I looked at it, the reason I needed to do it was because I was learning God's voice, and I was learning what obedience looks like when his voice is attached to it. I think for all of us, the bigger struggle that we have is you hear something in your head, but is that God? Is that me? Is that something else? And, and you try to sort that out. Well, we learn how to do that. We learn his voice. And part of the way, at least for me, and I'm a little thick on all this stuff, but part of the way that I've learned his voice is really just trial and error. And I have both. But I can tell you, the places where I learned it by error I really made a point of knowing his voice after that. <laughs> I'm like, I can't be casual about this. I'm going to have to be very intentional. Because I kind of thought that was him, only to find out it wasn't. So we learned that. But his provision is just, I, I, he is for us. Um, and, and I think for us, probably in, in, especially in the U.S., one of the harder things we learn is that the kingdom of heaven is not the United States of America. <laughs> the, the economy of the kingdom isn't the economy of the United States of America. You know, I, I've, you know in places I've been... We, we, we were at a place, and um, I'm, I'm being careful on how I say that. Well, I'm not being careful on how I say it. You need to be careful how you hear it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it, yeah. And you guys be careful how you hear it. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. He's <laughs> back. 
<laughs> so, um, oh now where was I at? That was a really good point I was going to make. Maybe I should just move on to the sermon. What point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you, when you travel to other countries and you get to what the church and the kingdom looks like in other countries. In the U.S., we're at a point where God is obligated to make me comfortable, to make me happy, and to grease the skids every time. So things come along that I don't have an understanding for or I don't have a reason for. And if I don't have a reason for it, God is obligated to act according to how I think. When in fact, he's not. He has, yeah, and won't. He has this crazy idea that he is the creator and therefore the Lord. You can kick against that idea. It's better to work with that idea. So uh, we, we, we deal with personal tragedy. We deal with personal struggles. We deal with uh, inconsistencies. We deal with a lot of different things. And we want God to make all that just be perfect. When all along he's like, no, I, I, there's a time coming when it won't be this way. But right now, you do, do live on the earth. Now, I've chosen to live on the earth with you. That should be a point of high gratitude. He's not a God that lives off somewhere. He's not a God that's you know, on his mountain, and we all have to go to his mountain to try to get something from him. He's the God that's come along and said, no, this is the way it's going to work. In Christ, I am folding you into me, and I am folding me into you. And whatever you do in life, I'm doing it with you. Wherever you find yourself in life, you're going to find me there. I don't leave you. I don't abandon you. I don't forsake you, as was was in the scripture that was, was reading. I don't look for a charge to hold against you. I'm looking to come near and I'm inviting you to come near to me. Most of the world gets that far better than we do. They understand that hardship somehow works itself into life experience, and you're not going to get away from it. We have our moments of joy and our moments of celebration and our moments. We, we have all those things, and, but life also does bring with it the difficulties the unanswered questions. Where do I find myself now? Where do I find you, God, now? What do I do with that season where he's quiet? In faith, do I know that his silence means he's with me? Or in discouragement, do I take the silence and say, God has left me? How do I live that out? How do I see myself during that time? So um, I want to kind of wrap up where I've been for months now, I think. Um, So some of this might be some review, and then I've thrown some new stuff in, I hope. Um, I I read a quote the other day, and and it's by Ralph Nader. Anybody remember who Ralph Nader was? Try to be president a couple times. Um, But... I found the quote fascinating. He says, I want to live my life to be a good ancestor. When I read that, it just caught me. I I want to live my life to be a good ancestor. I will be an ancestor. But have I done things that make me a good ancestor? I don't know. 
In this stewardship of the kingdom, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Randy Alcorn has said, stewardship isn't a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship? Except that God has entrusted us life, time, talents, money, possessions, family, and his grace. In each case, he evaluates how we regard what he has entrusted us, entrusted to us and what we do with it. So he freely gives, but then to who the one who much is given, much is required. He doesn't require from me more than what's been given, but he does require from me what has been given. So as he, as he pours himself into me, it's so that I can pour myself into someone else. I can be a good ancestor. I can lay uh, generational foundations. Servants. It literally is the under rowers of the ship. So, you know, you take... Uh, Biblical time ships, and they had the oarsmen, and depending on the vessel, they actually had two tiers of oars. Now, talk about getting your timing right. Those probably all would have been good drummers. They had a drummer on the boat, <laughs> on the boat right? So what what happened? That the drummer gave the beat, and the oarsmen knew how to row to the beat. And if the beat increased, that meant we needed to go faster. If it decreased, we need to slow up. <laughs> I won't say well, if you and and you know and if you see the drummer go overboard that's when you go oh crap that's not good <laughs> so Paul is saying that they should not be regarded as as masters in comparison to the pagan religions around them in Matthew 24 verses 46 and 47 Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Again, we kind of get uncomfortable in Western culture because God isn't supposed to require anything of me. I just get to require everything of him. Again, he has this crazy idea. He's the creator and he's the Lord. And he puts things into me, he puts things into you, and there's a requirement that he places upon it. What are you going to do with what I put in? It's not that you just sit around and get fat. It's that you, it's going out. It's being given out. So the servant is the reflection of the master he serves. This is why we can't serve God and mammon. Which I, I can, I'm only going to reflect one of those. If I'm a servant of God, I'm going to reflect that. My life is going to reflect that. If I'm a servant of mammon, my life is going to reflect that. It's going to be two different things. I can't put the two together and go, gee, I really want both. No, you can't. You can't do that. Your heart won't align that way. So for the servant, my reflection is different. You know, the, the servant is primary to the master. The servant knows what the master wants. <coughs> we, don't, we don't operate in ignorance. We don't operate without knowing anything. Again, in our, in our present culture, there's a lot of, of uh, you know, you know I, well, just deconstruction stuff that goes on with the scriptures. Some of it's all right. I mean, I think if we're going to be true students of the word, we always live in some element of deconstruction. But deconstruction without reconstruction is dangerous. It leads you to a cliff and then tells you it's okay to go off. <clears throat> Not only that, they probably would tell you that God told me to go off. 
even though the voice of the God, could somebody give me some water? <clears throat> um, even though, um, never mind, I, I, that's enough. You, you get my point. But the servant is primary to the, to the master. So I'm, I, <clears throat> I walk with him. I walk in tandem with him. He walks in tandem with me. God hasn't answered every question that I've asked, but I can tell you he has answered a lot of my questions. He's not left me. Bless you, sir. He has not left me without answers. He has not left me in a place of floundering where I don't know what to do. Now, on a, today I may not know the answer. Double portion. You guys will excuse me for a minute. I need to go to the loo. <laughs> so uh, God has... God has, has uh, Place me, and he places you in these in in a in a world inside of him, where we have access to the Creator of the universe. And though he may not today have spoken to me and explained everything, now I um, I think I can safely say this: he's answered he's answered a lot of my questions but I don't think he's given me a lot of explanations. And those are two different things. I mean, I can ask a question that wants an explanation. Those I don't find a lot of answers to. But I can ask a question, Father, what are we doing? Where are we going? What do you want of me? How's your kingdom at work in me today? What's my responsibility as a Christ imager today? I can ask those questions, and he answers them. He just doesn't, uh, he just doesn't lay out the whole, the whole plan. <clears throat> so as a servant, as a steward, my service comes from hearing the master's voice. If I'm going to hear the vast master's voice, I have to spend time with the master. It's the only way you're going to hear his voice. He is not going to chase you around town trying to talk to you. He'll follow you around town. He'll be with you when you go around town. He'll be in you when you go around town. But he's not going to speak until you get quiet and allow him to talk. So as a servant, it's the under rowers of the ship. As stewards, it's the highest rank of the household staff. You know, that's the house ruler, the house feeder. As Christ followers, we should be maturing into stewards of the mysteries of God. We need to be able to give an account for what God is doing in us. It's got to be more than showing up at a building, sitting in a room together, even having awesome worship together, having awesome times of prayer. Those things have a place. But that's not a personal accounting of who God is in you. I need to be able to steward the mysteries. What, what mysteries are being unfolded in my life? If you don't have a sense that some level of mystery is unfolding in your life, man, you need to get alone with him and stay there until a mystery starts to appear. Because I would put it this way, if there's no mysteries, there's no growth. There's no maturing. So what do mysteries look like? If, we're, if I'm supposed to steward the mysteries of God, what do they look like? They look like me cutting my grass and hearing God in the midst of that experience. Not coming away with a new idea that will change the world, 
but coming away with a deeper sense of who he is in me. And that whatever I'm doing in life, he's there. He's present. You know, other times the, the mysteries can be more revelatory. They can be, they can be bigger. They can be things that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning and grasping about spiritual realms that I had not understood before. But one is not more a better mystery than the other. They're all just mysteries. And it's my responsibility to pay attention to the mystery and to learn from it. And sometimes it's the mystery of darkness. And we run away from that. We rebuke it. You know, the the ancient mystics called it the dark night of the soul. I've experienced that more than once in my life. And coming through that time, that mystery of darkness, to to come out the other side of that moment and to realize that in the center of darkness, he was there. And he carried me. He didn't leave me. Learning the mystery of silence. You know, again, in charismatic churches, we're never silent. We're so nervous about silence. I mean, you know, if all of a sudden the room goes quiet and we all sit there for five minutes, we're all going, if it's like all day, we sat in church all day and nothing happened. That was five minutes. Well, it felt like all day. Well, I know it's because we can't stand silence. But the mystery of silence, there's a lot of things that happen in the mystery of silence. In the mystery of silence, you, come, you can come away knowing something that you didn't know before you entered into that time of silence, and yet you can't pinpoint how it got there. Because we think that communication comes from speaking. God communicates as I am. You didn't say a word, but somehow it's like the whole universe just washed over me. And I, don't, I didn't hear anything. I don't even know what happened. You know, I, I you know, I, I probably more, I probably need deliverance from this at, at this point, but I've kind of, I, 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 I spend too much time watching reels. But my favorite reels are all the reels of the Pentecostal churches. I can watch, I feel like I'm a part of it, so I can watch it without criticizing. And I look at some of them like, I've done that little. <laughs> I had that, you know. I, 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 <laughs> I rolled across, I've rolled across the floor. I, I, you know, I've, I've done that. So I'm, I'm, so I'm looking at myself going, I can see why some people think that's really ridiculous. It does look, does look pretty ridiculous. But when I was doing it, it was an event. So there's these places where God comes, and then physically, I, I can't hold the capacity of that moment when it washes over. And so physically, I find myself doing things or reacting in a way that would not be proper. But at the same time, it's like, it's just, if it's just God, I wasn't trying to do that. I wasn't looking for display. I wasn't looking for notoriety. I just couldn't help myself. It's just, so how am I stewarding these mysteries? Am, am I learning them? Can I give an accounting for these mysteries? You know, as a servant, I do what I'm told. As a steward, I administer the property of the owner. Sometimes I'm a servant. Sometimes I'm a steward. 
It depends what he needs me to do in the moment. And I have to be okay with both. And I have to know what, which hat I'm wearing. So both are true experiences, and maturity sets one apart from the other. That's how we learn to, um, again, learning his voice. <clears throat> Larry Burkett has said, one principle that surrounds everything else is that of stewardship. What we are the managers of, that we are, let me read that again. One principle that surrounds everything else is that of stewardship that we are the managers of everything that God has given us. If he's given it to you, if he's given it to me, I'm expected to manage it. I'm expected to be a steward of it. And he's expecting me to be faithful in my stewardship. So one of the things that happens is, and we see this, like power exaggerates whatever is in the heart. Maturing as both servant and steward will always reveal the matters of the heart. Are we faithful with the little we start with? Are we faithful with another man's property? Do we discipline our lives for empowerment? Do we manage a household? What am I doing? How am I doing that? My heart will be revealed in those things. Robert Louis Stevenson has said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. If I'm having an encounter with his lordship, if I am coming in as a steward, and my coming in as a servant, then I can't, if I'm, if I'm falling deeper in love with him, and love is what I say I have towards him, that's going to bring generosity into my heart. But I can give just for the, for the obligation of giving. It doesn't take love to do that. But if I'm walking in love, I will uh, be generous. John Bunyan has said, you have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. I mean, it can be simple things. It doesn't have to be huge. But in the course of the day, in the course of the week, have I extended myself someplace and the per- knowing that the person can't repay, repay? Stewardship flows out of the father-son relationship. Jesus modeled this through the life and death uh, of stewardship in doing what he saw the father doing. In death, Yahweh demonstrated stewardship in the resurrection and the ascension. So we watch in the father-son relationship, Jesus modeled stewardship in his life and death. Yahweh modeled stewardship in the resurrection and the ascension. They both had made uh, an agreement as to what it was going to look like. I can't Imagine the difficulty that had to be there on the human side. Jesus is entrusting himself to resurrection. But the only way to resurrection was a cruel death. But he entrusted himself. He also was, uh, well, now I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. When I live in the place of knowing I'm a son or a daughter in continual communion with my father, I see life differently. I align my heart differently with the world around me. I live as a son in my father's kingdom. This this became just a fresh reality for me one one day sitting on the beach. I had read, I had taken a couple books with me to read over over vacation and... um, in one of them, there were some things that the author had said that got me thinking again about sonship and how sonship works and what, what we, uh, 
what what this relationship with Yahweh is about. And and I um, I'm using the term son because I'm male. Uh, but in my sonship with him, he's it's my father's business. And I, I'm still working on words here. I don't quite adequately know how to describe what I experienced. But it was this idea, this is my father's business. Dad owns this. I'm the son. But when I walk into the room, everybody in the business knows I'm the son. They don't treat me the same way that they treat others. And I bring with me a place of authority that doesn't need to be verbally expressed. It just is. And this is the piece I'm working on right now, finding language for it. Because what I'm realizing is in, in my relationship with my father, he is putting me in places where he's expecting a lot. And at the same time, again, working on language, he expects a lot. But at the same time, he's not expecting me to do it. But he is expecting me to be there. He's expecting me to show up. He's expecting me to show up with an anticipation of what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. I'm not even sure of the reasons why he needs to do it. But beyond all that, he's told me, be there, be ready, be prepared. Okay. Well, what are we doing? Well, you'll see in a bit. <laughs> be there, be prepared, be ready. And, of course, with me, he, he really has to limit how much he tells me. Because I only need a little bit of information, and I can run off in a tangent and be gone for weeks. <laughs> and then I'm thinking my tangent is his plan or his will. And I get there and discover it wasn't exactly as I saw it. So, and he's like, I, I know, you, you thought that I was going to bring you in contact with this person, and this person was going to be the answer to all the things you've been scheming about and working through, you thought that person is going to be the answer. Well, yeah. Because everything seemed to look that way. And he is, well, that person isn't the answer. I don't need what they got. They were the door. All I need you to, to pass through because what they have, they don't even know they have. So they can't give it away. But I'm going to take, introduce you to this person. This person is going to introduce you to someone else, which is going to open the door over here. And before you know it, you're going to be right where I want you. And you were incapable of sorting that out in your own head. Now... I'm coming to the place. I'm not there yet. Brain is still not under full, you know, GPS. But <clears throat> I am coming to the place that I don't feel the compulsion to get in and get it all fixed like I used to. I still like fixing things. And, and I, I'm making peace with that. And, but I don't, need, I don't need to have it all worked out. I don't ha need to have all the details. I don't need to, have, to be able to explain how everything's going to happen. I'm realizing that the, the kingdom of God functions more like get in the boat, go to the other side. Well, what are we going to do? Well, you got to get to the other side first. I get in the boat. I think it's going to be a nice, peaceful day on the lake. <laughs> Halfway across the lake, there's a full-blown storm raging. 
Yes. And not only that, in the middle of the storm, I think, I think that, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water. I am so in tune with my father, I think he's a ghost. I've got it wired. Got to be a ghost. But it's not. It's Jesus. So I'm, in, I'm a son in my father's kingdom. I'm responsible to carry out the kingdom's affairs as I see and I hear what the father is doing. <clears throat> but I'm not responsible for making something happen. This is the other piece of, of, I guess, revelation for me sitting on the beach that I'm still trying to find language for. Um, I'm in a place where there's, there's um, in order for things to happen, it, there's a huge amount of money that needs to move for things to happen. More money than I've ever given much thought to in my whole life. But it needs to come, and from my view, it needs to come now, or at least a good piece of it. And, and when I say that, I'm not even talking from an impatient standpoint. It's like just to take the next steps, we've got to have the money. So um, I was feeling the weight of that. I was feeling the inadequacy of, like, I don't even, I, I mean, this is someplace I've never been in my life. I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at asking for money. I'm not a salesperson. Um, I, you know, I, so I'm looking at myself and going, I, I'm totally inadequate for this task. And in the midst of that, these things about my sonship and my relationship to my father and how it all sorts itself out, those things are all going through my mind too. Um, but in the middle of this discussion, a one-sided discussion, I, I sense the Lord just saying, you're not responsible to make it happen. This is my business. You're the son. You need to adjust where you see yourself right now. If the business fails, the failure's on my father. If the business succeeds, it's success. Is on my father. He's just asked me to be a steward, to be a son, and to walk with him and actually watch his providence work in front of me. And it's like, well, God, I just, you know, what do I do with these feelings of inadequacy? He says, well, those are your perimeters, your, your boundaries. Now, boundaries not in the sense that they limit me. Boundaries in, in the sense that they empower me. Because in my inadequacy, I, it allows me to, to stay humble and not deal with pride because I know my inadequacies. But at the same time, it, it, it gives him space to move through me to do amazing exploits and walk those out properly. Now, I don't, you know, probably nobody else in this room struggles with this stuff. So um, thank you for my therapy session. One of, the, one of the things that's happening now in, in this place where I'm finding myself is I've been brought into a sphere of people that operate on the planet, that live on the planet, that do things on the planet, that are way beyond anything I've ever encountered. Power and money can be intoxicating. And when you get around powerful people, they don't have to say anything. 
they do control the atmosphere. Now, what I'm learning is my father owns the business. So when I come in, I'm not operating from a, a worldly place of authority or power where I have to force myself and, and you know, use, use my inner soul strength to, to put myself over somebody else. I can just come in as a servant. And it puts me in a whole different place in my head, a different place in my heart, and it puts me in a different place in the room. And I'm, I'm getting the privilege of starting to watch that because in the same way that these people that I'm now starting to interact with, I've never been around before, I really don't know the etiquette of the culture. They don't know the etiquette of my culture. And they're as off balanced with me as I am with them, except my father owns the business. And he's just asking me to show up and the best that I can look like him. So I'm not responsible for making it happen. I am responsible for walking with and imaging Christ in developing the assignment. <laughs> Wherever I am, the kingdom of my Father has the potential to bring light. doesn't have to. I do have influence with where I'm positioning my heart, how I'm aligning things. But my father's intent is to bring light. And he'll put me, he'll put you in some really dark places because dark places need light. We shy away from that and try to find reasons to avoid it. And he's like, no, I, I, I love them, actually. Be light. The stewardship of my present situation determines the amount of light Holy Spirit will reveal. How am I stewarding this? Am I kicking against this? Am I, you know, trying to find any reason I can to, uh, to, to um, you know, not participate? Or am I aligning my heart and saying, Lord, this is dark. I don't know what's going on. But you've called me to be a light bearer. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to be light here. And it may be something as simple as a kind word. It may be an action. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be. But whatever it is, it'll be what's necessary. And it amazes me that um, how people respond positively to what they don't understand naturally because we're light. And, and they're also a created human out of the same creation that I'm out of and the light that was in me and creation is in them. So how do I help them discover that? Stewardship is also moment by moment. I don't think we, in life, I don't see that we're ever outside of having to, to be intentional about what I'm stewarding whether it's my marriage, whether it's my finances, whether it's my relationship in this church, whether it's my relationship with the neighborhood, whatever it is, I'm always having to assess and choose how I'm going to steward something. Sometimes stewardship is leaving it alone. Sometimes stewardship is moving in closer. I have to, I have to learn that, and I have to be... Um, 
you know, I have to be intentional about it. Do I choose my own way and act as if God is uninterested in me or my actions? Or do I align my heart with him regardless of feelings or circumstances? I just don't think the expression, I just don't feel like it, is a kingdom expression. I don't think, you know, we... we you know, we, we rationalize a lot of stuff. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I need to be going to church all the time. I don't know about this. I don't know if I should be giving money. We get through all that stuff. But am I choosing my own way? Am I acting like God's uninterested or like he doesn't see? I mean, I just, working with somebody just this past week, I'm not, I'm not involved in this situation. I'm just an outsider and more of a counselor to the counselor. But, you know, another, another, another large ministry, the, minute the pastor just went down in flames. And it's like, I, I and I, I'm, not, I, I'm not being arrogant about this, and I, I understand my own frame. I understand my own shortcomings. I understand my own capa- capacity to really screw up. So I get it. It's not a mystery to me. Yeah, that's not one of the that's not one of those mysteries. Yeah. But but I'm like, I don't understand. I just can't, I can't, and I'm not even judging. I just honestly can't understand what the heck were you doing when you kissed her? She's not your wife. And it wasn't on the cheek and a greeting. It was hard and wet. (laughs) What in the world are you doing? What are you thinking? Do you think God doesn't see this? Do you think he doesn't have an opinion about this? Do you think he's on the other side of heaven going, I don't know, I must have had my back turned that day. I don't know what Robert was doing. Well, he was kissing that woman. Yeah, yeah, it's like, come on, come on, come on. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to be stirring the mysteries of God, then my life has to have a reflection of that. And I know, again, this is one of these words like in our culture we don't want to talk about it anymore, but I'm sorry, I am called as a steward of God. I am called to be a moral person. And the moral, the morality that I'm called to isn't just some strength that I dream up on my own. It's the very presence of Holy Spirit and Jesus in me saying, don't do that. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for your wife. It's not good for this woman you took advantage of. Or she took advantage of you. I don't know. Somebody took it. They might have been, just might have been mutual. You know. As uh, Bob Sager says, I used her, she used me, and we neither one cared. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> but doesn't, doesn't like, isn't there something in, inside this skull called a conscience that at a certain point looks at me and says, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, you have a wife. Do I have no moral responsibility? Yes, I do. Outside of even being a Christian, just being a decent human being, I have a responsibility to treat people correctly. And using people, I'm sorry, is not correct. I don't care how you justify the end. It's not correct. Just cut it out. But the counselor that I'm counseling, who's counseling the person that did the kissing. Yeah, I, I, I said to, you know, he's, we're talking through what he, you know, some of the conversations they were having and kind of where things are. And it looks like things are going to, you know, it looks like things are going to get put back together. 
but I'm sorry, you've already crossed the line that you, you can go back on the other side of the line, but the line's already crossed. You can say, I'm never going to do it again, and you may never do it again, but you still cross the line, and the line doesn't go away. The memory doesn't go away. The wife, even if she works through this, works through her hurts, all the stuff that we all talk about, at the core of her being, every time she lays down next to him at night, she knows he willfully gave, kissed another woman and then came home to her and told her that he loved her. It's like, it's crap. Come on. I mean, if we are stewards of the mysteries of God, let's spend our time focused on the mysteries of God. Sorry, I've been on vacation. I, I'm out of touch with stuff. I don't... I... Spend, spend three weeks on the beach, and it's like you think different. <laughs> Am I choosing my own ways as if God is uninterested or doesn't see my actions, or do I actually in my heart each day know that it's not that God's watching with his ch checklist. I'm in a relationship with him. Where I go, he goes. He doesn't leave. Well, here, you go ahead and do adultery. I'll be out in the hall. It's like, no, he's right there. There's a, there's a certain part of Right, of holy fear that should grip our hearts in those moments where we're going, man, I sure want to, but this is like the stupidest place I've ever found myself. I'm out of here. Don't take it personal, but I ain't doing it. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm moving on. Jesus demonstrated the pivotal conversation with Yahweh in the garden when he was demonstrating stewardship. Is there another way? I mean, is, is this the only way this is going to work? Okay. So I'll take the cup. And we see the benefit from him stewarding his relationship with Yahweh correctly. Adam and Eve demonstrated the wrong pivotal conversation in a garden. And we all know how that ended. Stewardship, lordship, self-control, and love flow out of the same alignment of our hearts with the Father. You know, some weeks ago I said that in the fruit of the Spirit, love and self-control were the bookends that was a quote from Joyce Meyer, are the bookends. If you remove one bookend on either side, the books fall down. The fruit of the Spirit, love is on one side, self-control is in the other. But even our stewardship and our lordship, you know, they're all there. That's all... Um, I, 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 I had been a believer for... Maybe, maybe six months. hadn't been very long. And when I got saved, I was dating a girl. And after getting saved, that, that all deteriorated and ended. So I had been praying to God. I didn't want her, I didn't want her to, you know, I, I didn't want to break up. Right? But the main reason I didn't want to break up was because we were sleeping together, and I didn't want to give that up. So I'm pretty sure it was in heat more than in love, but I didn't want to give up anyway. So I'm crying out to God to bring this girl back. And she doesn't come back. Now I can say, thank you, Jesus. Back then, God hates me. So I was going to show him. I, but right after I became a believer, I quit smoking cigarettes. And so I've, I'm going to show him, if, if you're not going to answer my prayers, 
Then I'm just going to do what I want to do. So I walked down to the 7-Eleven, bought a pack of larks. I don't even know that larks are around anymore. That's how old, that's how old they are. <laughs> bought a pack of larks, and I'm going to show him. I'm going to smoke every one of these cigarettes. I'm going to stand right here in the parking lot. I'm just going to change. I'm going to light one right off to the other. God, you're not going to answer my prayer. I'm smoking this pack of larks. I'm sure that video is going to be in heaven for everybody to enjoy. <laughs> Under the Robert Muncie Comedy Hour, this is, this is what kids do. You want to see a temper tantrum? Here's one. <laughs> I didn't smoke the whole pack. That was pretty a stupid idea, even for a smoker. It's like, <sighs> I'm kind of done with cigarettes. I, I don't know. I, I might have made, made it maybe through five. <sighs> I can't do any more of this. And I just went back to not smoking anymore because that was, yeah. But I showed God. <laughs> he didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. He didn't chastise me. He did correct me. And he did begin to instruct me in something that's been with me my whole life. It's like, you can do it your way, or you can do it my way. One works, one doesn't. You can call that being under the law. You can call it you know, being under church. I, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it to, to say that it's not what we're supposed to be doing. If, I'm say, if I say I'm under grace and I am under grace, then grace better look sweeter than the law because it is better. But I live a moral life because the one that lives within me is moral. I'm not bound by a law, but I am bound by love. And if I say I love, then my life ought to look like it. Elizabeth Dole, of all people, and that sounds bad. I'm not criticizing her. But I just, when I, when I saw this, this quote, it just, I just chuckled because I didn't know that Elizabeth Dole actually thought this way. <clears throat> it's not what I do that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through me. God does not want worldly successes. He wants me. He wants my heart in submission to him. Life is not just a few years to spend on self-indulgence and career advancement. It is a privilege, a responsibility, a stewardship to be lived according to a much higher calling, God's calling. This alone gives true meaning to life. Again, the kingdom of God is not Western culture. It isn't always bigger and better and brighter and faster. The kingdom of God is coming into his humanity and being instruments for justice, being instruments for peace being instruments that when somebody's met you, met me, and we've had time with them, they have had time with Jesus. What do I leave in each day that I go through? Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that you are so incredibly generous in what you give us. And Holy Spirit, help each of us to know the places of responsibility that we hold. And help us to see those places where we've used excuses instead of stewardship. Lord, may each of us be stewards of your mysteries.
May we spend that time with you and know you as you know us and learn your mysteries, learn your voice, learn your ways. Lord, I just declare that over this room, that we are people of the way. Jesus, in your name and for your glory, amen.